Welcome back to the second season of the Sit With Snip podcast. I'm your host, Hannah Snikovsky. The season is focused explicitly on sitting with singlehood, how to live a meaningful life while still searching for your life partner. On the show, we process ideas and topics by engaging in thought-provoking conversations with different speakers. For our sixth episode, I am so excited to officially introduce the first male to make it on the Sit With Snip podcast. <laughs> he is a legend and really doesn't need an introduction. I think that if you know him and you know him well, then that's all there is to it. For those of you who do not have the honor of knowing Rabbi Jack Cohen yet, I will tell you a little thing or two about him. Um, you might know him from his days working at Mayor Manhattan, now known as Olami Manhattan, or even before that on Penn's campus with Mayor. Or maybe you happen to be one of the million Venezuelans who are related to him here in Miami. Either way, Rabino is near and dear to my heart. I am very blessed to call him a rabbi, mentor, spiritual practitioner, step cousin. Um, we're still working on all the many labels, and you'll hear me allude to them on the podcast, and it, I just milk it. I milk it. I knew that I wanted Rabbi Jack on this podcast from day one because he was one of the people who really pushed me to launch this season specifically. He kept saying, Hanita, you just have to do it. Like, give me a time and day and let's make it happen. And sometimes we need that, you know, push to get things going and I wouldn't be here right now speaking to all of you without him. So first and foremost, Chodesh Tov, welcome to the month of Shvat. And I hope the energy of Shvat just gives you the biggest hug. And so does this podcast. So like always, if you enjoy this podcast, share it, send it to a friend that you think will benefit from it, like it, comment, do all the things on social, really put your soul in it though. And as always, remember, it's all lessons and blessings. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Sit With Snit podcast. I'm your host, Hannah Stikovsky, and I'm really excited to introduce you all to this week's guest. He happens to be my main spiritual practitioner, my step cousin. I'm going to be milking that for the rest of our lives, by the way, um, and an amazing Jewish educator, Rabbi Jack Cohen. Welcome, Ravino. Welcome to Sit With Snit. How are you? Great, great. Nice to be called officially a spiritual practitioner. I know. I think it's like a good, it's a good term. Like you could also say like, you know, my rabbi, but I feel like a spiritual practitioner, it just has this, uh, it's nice. It's a nice title. Yeah. I guess I'm not so proficient with like chakras and acupuncture needles <laughs> and things like that. Brujaria, I, that I, I'm happy about it. It's okay. <laughs> okay. And officially, you are the first male to be on the Sit With Snit podcast. So Mazal wow. Tov, thank well, you for setting the record, being you know a new, a new all time high. It's great. Proud, <laughs> proud to be the first male. Um, so for those of you listening, Rabbi Jack, among being one of the, I really think one of the game changers in Torah education and just Jewish education. <laughs> Um, happens to be a huge mentor of mine and someone I go to with my own dating life. And I kind of wanted to bring him on the show because he's the person I go to when I need his hook and especially the person I look to. Um, you're going to have to help me with the pasuk here, Ravino. But um, whenever we fall down, right, Atzadik falls down seven times and we get back eight. What's the pasuk? Sheva yipok Atzadik become. Thank you. falls seven times and gets back up. Thank you. So I find that like when I need help getting back up, I kind of turn to you and you help me get back up. So I feel like I want anyone who's listening to also have that experience because I feel that throughout my journey with um, just Judaism and in life, I've always, always sought out mentorship and I pray for it every day that I'm just surrounded with the right people. And so I realize that sometimes people aren't as fortunate. So I feel like I wanted to have you speak about just how to have a Muna in this experience that we call dating and being single. Um, because I think you yourself have gotten up quite a few times in your experience. And I think that we could all learn so much from it. So I guess uh, since you mentioned the Pusuk, Ravitsa yes. Kutner, he, one of the great rabbis of the 20th century, one of the, one of the deeper, broader figures in, in, uh, 
in the Jewish world, he uh, he says that the pasuk is not simply that. Oh, you know you're at tzaddik if you get up. You know you fall seven times. You get up. He says no. That's not what it means. It means that you become a tzaddik by getting up mm. every time. Mm. Right. Every time you fall down, you get back up. That's what makes you into into a tzaddik, into a person who's able to deal with the bumps of life, to deal with when things don't go go their way. That's how you become a tzaddik. It's not just that. That's what tzaddikim do. No, mm. tzaddikim become tzaddikim through that process of getting back up. And I do, I do think you're right. I, you know, I, I guess I never really connected those those dots, but I do think that dating is like that. Um, I forget who it was. I, I asked someone a long time ago. I don't normally ask this question anymore since, since like, <laughs> this person's response, but I was like, so how's dating going? And they're like, uh, well, I'm not married, so not well, right? <laughs> Are you sure that wasn't me? <laughs> And it's like, I, I, you know, I hear where they're coming from. It, it has that kind of feeling. It's kind of like, it's like an all or nothing. It's like, we're in it to win it. So if we haven't won, then we've lost or we're losing. Hmm. And um, I think that's the opposite attitude of what you're describing with dating as a process of, of you fall and you have to get back up. You fall and you get back up. You know, you, you give it your all. Hopefully, you you, you know you, you try to date with your whole with your whole self. You try to give a person a chance. You try to give yourself a chance with a person who maybe you didn't expect it to work with, and it doesn't work out either because because at the end you couldn't, you know, they weren't for you or you weren't for them or whatever. Sometimes circumstances, someone someone gets in the way, someone interferes, and and it kind of falls apart. You have to get back up from all those things. I I really see dating and maybe this will open up the discussion for us, but I really see dating as a, a spiritual process. Mm. I don't think it's an accident um, that dating is, is a, is a long, arduous up and down, sometimes painful, always emotionally very involved process. Right. I don't think it's an accident. I don't think it's like, God's like, Whoa, you know, 8 billion people in the world. It's like a really big mess. Can you guys just figure it out? Can you guys just like, I don't know, comb the countryside and find the people you're supposed to end up with? I think that's insane. Like that goes against the Jewish perception of God. The Jewish Mm -hmm. perception of God is not simply the prime mover who he kicked the universe into into motion. And then it's like, good luck, everybody. You know, I'll see you on the other side. That's not, that's not it. God is involved. In fact, the Talmud in two separate places that I know of says that God's biggest involvement is in setting people up. What I think that means, or part of what I think that means, is that he's involved in all those relationships that didn't work. Mm. He is there. He is there with you, and you need to be there with him. That means that when it's not working, why is it not working? It's meant to, it's meant to kick stuff up inside of you. Why is it yeah. not working? Why do you keep getting set up with these kinds of people? Why why do you um, keep closing up, you know, after date four, five, or six? Why do you get very excited at the beginning, but always rapidly disappointed? What's going on? In other words, it's a process that you're supposed to learn from. And you're supposed to, again, you're supposed to become that person. Yeah, I don't know if you become a tzaddik, but you become a person who is... A person who is hopefully when you meet the right person, you are that person to be in the relationship with them. You're ready to be in that relationship. So I really so see kind of dating. trains you to be it's the person you need to be. It's a, all that. Spiritual boot camp. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Big oh, time. Yeah. Yeah. It's able, dating is able to push our buttons in ways that that our parents can't, that our, our schools can't, our jobs can't. It gets under your skin. Oh yeah. Tell me about it. I think something that really resonated with what you said is that it's not a passive experience. It's not meant to be a passive experience. And I think the, it's a template for the rest of our lives Um, because life is, I mean, please God, we shouldn't be passively living through life. And if we understand this kind of modality that Hashem wants us to be active participants with him, and if it means we have to get up and we have to get down first, I think the sooner we understand that and realize it's not so personal, it's not about you. It's not 
it's not so much that like, oh, you're not worthy or you're not good enough or you're not like, it's, it's not about that. It's just kind of the, the nature of it, so to speak. I think it takes away a little bit of the burn, but it's, I mean, it's still there. It kind of comes with the territory. Yeah. I mean, it definitely, it definitely burns. Um, ultimately a relationship is not, is a relationship ultimately is not just about you. It's a relationship. So when we're in like a bad state in our dating, we're very much inside of ourselves, self-absorbed. Um, and that could be so many things. It could be like, why do people keep introducing me to this kind of person? Or um, why do, or it could be the opposite. Why do I always, you know, mess these, mess these relationships up? Or why do I mm-hmm. always do this? Why? That's not, that normally doesn't go anywhere, right? Because it's so self-absorbed. But for me, I think there were certain moments that kind of like opened me up in mm-hmm. dating unexpectedly, you know, mm-hmm. unexpectedly you, 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 you meet someone who opens your mind to a different kind of person. They may not even be the person you end up marrying, right? right? And if you're inside your own head, you're like, oh, why another person? It didn't work out. And blah, blah, blah. But when you kind of like are humbled by life and you're humbled by the fact that a kind of person who you would have written off before is is actually someone who's so amazing and 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 you feel so comfortable with and you're like wow like you're spectacular um i can't believe i would have written you off those are these like magical moments that i think the talmud's referring to that god mm-hmm. is there setting us up he's there in the process of us finding the right person and it's a process of us becoming people who are less self-absorbed, more open, more humble, and ready, hopefully, when the time comes to meet that right person, to be that right person for them. Right. What would you say when you had those experiences that, let's say, you ended up dating someone you would have normally have written off? What mindset or what allowed you to be open to that experience, right? Like, I guess you said having that humble attitude towards dating, but do you feel like there's a certain need or a character trait or like a prerequisite that you should just try to maintain while you're dating, even when the going gets tough, but in order to have that clarity, hopefully, so that like, okay, maybe the person sitting in front of you isn't your husband or your wife, but you can still acknowledge like, wait, this is an amazing individual. I'm so grateful I met you. Like you never know. I always say like, if not for me, for someone else, I could be making a shit up. Who knows? I mean, I'd really like to just FYI. <laughs> yeah, you know, just I just want to put just put as a disclaimer, you know, I, I normally feel like podcast guests, like you have to have like these like snappy answers to all these things. Cause and and maybe you do, because maybe you wrote a book about it or two, or you're a, a world famous speaker on the subject or something like that. Um, I'm none of those things. <laughs> I'm a pretty bad shotgun. Um <laughs> notoriously. Um my my wife, you know, makes me makes me do it and she's right. Um, actually the first time she really gave me a big talk about like, you can't just like pass up, um, these opportunities that, that Hashem puts in your way. Like if he puts two people in front of you and they make sense, like, you got to set them up. Um, and so she actually told me that. And then literally the next week I set up a couple, one of my two, uh, couples of Boch Hashem, I was able to set up, Yay. but anyways, the point is I'm not an expert on dating in any way, shape or form. I'm just saying that right now, anything I'm, I'm going to say is based on wisdom from um, mentors of mine, rebbies of mine, and uh, lessons learned from my own bumps, bruises, and scrapes, and my own personal journey of of dating. But you, your question was, which which I'm stalling to give you a, a snappy answer. Your question was, uh, <laughs> what mindsets should a person have to be open and to have those kind of like humbling, mind expanding, heart expanding uh, moments that really move us along? in the dating trajectory. Yes. Okay. I think a basic one, basic one, basic one, and it sounds obvious, but practically speaking, it's not easy. You need to want to get married. Hmm. Like you need to be serious about it. Uh, on a superficial, on a superficial like level, a person who is dating just to pass the time. That's not, not serious. Okay. Certainly someone who, you know, um, you know, 
when I became more more observant, you know, I was dating without, you know, physical contact. I think that definitely takes away any kind of intermediate way station in the dating process. So it, right. it kind of forces you to be like, is this for real or not? Because otherwise, what are we doing? We're wasting our time. But obviously, if a couple is doesn't have that, if a couple does have some intermediate um, Know, the, the, baseball, the baseball metaphor, I guess, is, you know, is, is, is probably the best. If there's intermediate bases for you to reach, right? Um, so then, yeah, like, you're not going to have those moments because you're so kind of like goal-oriented or task-oriented in terms of what you're trying to do that it's just you're very much in your own head. It's like, am yeah. I am I getting what I want or no? Mm, on a more sophisticated, what's that? It makes the relationship a bit transactional. Oh, very much. Not at all what a marriage should be like. Very much. But on a more sophisticated level, I think this could happen even to a, a, um, a religious, you know, an ostensibly religious single person. For because sure. Because you kind of have this picture of what marriage is, you know, this like picture, per- picture perfect um, idea that you've been sold or that you, you know, that you, that you weren't sold, but you bought anyways of, of like, and you, you know, and, and uh, you meet the perfect, the perfect person and they're, and they're attractive and they have good midot and they're this, that, and the other thing. And, and uh, you can have Shana Rishon in Israel. And <laughs> it's also like, it, it also looking at it that way can also very much be trans. It creates a, a, a fake transactional thing. Yeah. Like, it's like, you don't even, you're not really appreciating like, no, no, this is for life. This is not about living in Rehavia with like, <laughs> like a great roommate, you know, for a year. No, no this is your whole life. Like you're going to raise kids with this person. Um, this person is going to, going to get to know you, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And they're going to call you out in all of your shtick, you know? <laughs> um, and you have to like that. Because that's what it is, you know. I think when a person has that kind of very superficial idea of what what's going on in dating, what the point is, you're just not going to you're not going to get it. Like Hashem may be sending you messages um, through this person. The person may you may have like difficult interactions with them in the dating process, but you you won't be humbled by it. You, you're not open to it. You know, mm-hmm. you'll either you'll either you'll either kind of like ignore it like laugh it off and ignore it and not realize that the person's actually saying something that you need to hear. Or you'll be like, Oh, it's like, yeah, like this person, like it's not going to work. Cause, cause they're giving me, they get, this person gives me a hard time for my, you know, for, for things of mine. And it's like, well, that's mm-hmm. part of, that's kind of part of what it is. Now I'm not saying that, that you should give, you know, you should give your spouse a hard time all the time. As a, as a rule of thumb, it's not a good idea to give your spouse a hard time. <laughs> Shall but, buy it one-on-one. But it's a part but you of do. But you do because you because you have you're building a life together and you have to make it so so yeah it's hard it's hard when someone's there and someone even without saying anything without giving you a whole muster schmooze can, can we use yeshivish and Hebrew over here yeah we can totally do that and we can translate it we'll make yeah, a glossary yeah. it's great <laughs> like even when someone doesn't give you a, a muster schmooze their very their very existence in the same home as you their very fact that they're co-parenting with you. Is, it's going to bring stuff out. It's going to yeah. bring things out. And you have to be yeah. ready for that, which is the whole marriage that. mindset. Exactly. And if you, if right. you, if you, if you, if you want that, if, if that's your eye on the prize is my coming to um, encounter the truth of who I need to be as a person in this world. Right. Mm. If that's what you're going through, because that's what I believe marriage is meant to be. And ultimately, and that's what I think it is, and that's what I think it's meant to be. Um, I think that ultimately, it's, it's that for everyone. It's just maybe you accept it, you know, late, at some point later in life. If you want that, then you, I think, you will have many of these, many of these moments. Yeah. So I think, in, to begin with, people need to. We all need to kind of check ourselves in terms of what do we think marriage is. What are we really expecting out of a marriage, and just kind of be honest with ourselves about that. And I think especially for Bali Chuva, people who kind of buy into this lifestyle a little bit later in life. Like there's, there is that disillusionment that you're talking about. Like, yeah, like I, 
marriage to me probably five years ago when I left seminary. I mean, it was Shauna Rishona, hard enough apartment. Let me go learn at Neve while my husband, you know, is learning at I don't know which Habora and I'll meet him home for lunch. Like that was, you know, and that's fine and well. And people do that and they're happy and thank God that's their trajectory, but that's not even the beginning of it. That's not even the beginning of it. Um, and I yeah. think, I mean, I'm still trying to get and fine tune and I hope that my um, idea and awareness of marriage becomes more mature and more accurate. I know that it won't get that way until I'm in it, but I think that the disillusionment often, it does shape us to have those kind of judgments when we're on a date. And it is really hard also. I, I will say like dating when you are Shomer Nagia, like it's it's hard not to be in your head also and not having those transactional thoughts like it's hard to be present on those dates because you're like, well, could this be the father of my children? What's he going to be like at a Shabbat table? So in the same sense where maybe someone who does have physicality in their relationship, they're kind of seeing it as like a goal oriented. I think also with Shidduch dating, there is kind of a goal orientation in the same sense because you're having those thoughts or you're trying to control them. And if they're not there, then you're trying to keep them in the closet, but they come out at times. And maybe I'm alone in that. I really doubt it because I think we all have those thoughts. They probably just come out a little bit differently, sound a little different. Um, But I think the idea of disillusionment does come into play at some point, whether it's the first date or later on. And I'm curious to hear your thoughts on how do you combat that? Or how did you face that um, in your dating? Disillusionment Tell me more so I understand exactly what you're referring to. Disillusionment with with what? I guess also like knowing like disillusionment with the idea of marriage. I mean, we kind of spoke about that a little bit, getting clear on what it is marriage really looks like. And I think that's also if you're able and like have people that are able to be vulnerable and comfortable with showing you like their lives and being a part of families and seeing the real deal, that definitely kind of takes away the rose colored glasses in a sense. Um, but just also, I think understanding what, what you actually need as a person and what you, what, like you said, people are going to be calling each other out in a marriage, but what someone needs to be able to speak in that into you. So what is that going to look like and being real and knowing how to recognize that when you're dating so that please God, you marry the right person when you're under that hoopah. But I think that sometimes that disillusionment, things look nice on paper this person went to this yeshiva. I'm marrying them because I really like their rabbis. I had a friend of mine who said the most amazing thing to me. She was like, Hannah, I definitely had a phase where I was obsessed with like one specific yeshiva. Anyone who knows me who's listening to this definitely knows. I know you know. Um, and she was like, do not marry a guy for their rabbis. Like you don't like you don't need to marry into a yeshiva, into like to, to follow their Torah, to listen to their guidance, to be a fan of, you know, what they do. And I feel like that sometimes all these different, I don't know what how to categorize them, but I guess like these different masks that we put on different people, it's sometimes hard to see who you're actually sitting in front of. Mm-hmm. I don't uh, know if I even cleared up that question or created five more, but I'll I'll let you roll with it. I think I think it's I think it's I think it's okay. Because thankfully, Hannah, we we can communicate so we I know what you're getting. I know what you're getting at. So, um, I, let me just just to bring it down to something like more personal and concrete. My experience when when I met Kalanit is was an experience that I would describe as disarming. Hmm. Um, and it's hard to generalize. And my, my Rebbe Rebbe Gershenfeld said this to me a long time ago. And I find it so true that when people give advice about marriage, it's almost impossible for them to give advice that's um, disentangled from their own experience of marriage. I mean, how could, mm. how could they? Like, right? So we're so close to what we know, and anything else is really so such a long foreign. distance away from yeah. that, right? So foreign in many ways. But, um, but anyways. I do think that what it feels like is disarming. I do think that when you, because a person, and the older you are, the more disarming it is. Because I think as you as you grow up, you develop this like sense, this confidence, this uh, awareness of what you want, what you don't want, what you need, what you don't need, blah, 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 right? 
Um, and that creates this very kind of rigid, very rigid mm. molds. And, yes. and the person you're in front of has to fit into that mold or they don't. And maybe you never even get in front of the person. Maybe you just reject them outright. Um, but I do feel that the experience of encountering the right person is a feeling of like disarmament of like, I don't even, I don't even get who you are at all. Like, who are you? Right. Like, where'd you come from? What's the uh, name Colony? <laughs> yeah. So that was what happened with, with, with me and Colony. I mean, um, I was, I mean, first of all, she came from nowhere. I mean, she came from my, I mean, no offense to my 11 year old cousin, <laughs> you know, who set us up, but like that technically is like from nowhere. Like who expects their 11 year old cousin to have any clue of who they should be dating, let alone who they should marry. Yeah. Like, so, and I, I ignored the suggestion for like six months. When I, when I finally called her, um, so f- there was just so much about her, her, the external kind of like, um, packaging has connotations, but, but the labels and this, that, and the other thing and all that garbage yeah. that, that, that like was so unexpected. So I wasn't really prepared for, I wasn't prepared for anything in particular. I, I didn't even know she lived in a different city and she's from, she's from Chile. I didn't really know anybody from Chile except for one of my close friends' wives. That was it. You know, it's just like, she had a funny name, Colin, <laughs> you know. She, she hates when I make this joke, but I always say it's like, oh, Marshall, you know, my name is Kalanit Paz. Um, the best is when your daughter imitates you. Imitates you know? me saying it. Yeah, anyway. Um, <laughs> anyway, so like I, I, I didn't even like set up a time to speak to her in particular. Like I was on the road. I was like driving on I-95. I had just come from meeting the Rosh Shiva of the, of the Silver Spring Yeshiva of Aaron Lopiansky, who's a rabbi who I respected a lot who I'd heard a, a sheer from years prior, a class about dating. And it really spoke to me. And, and I was at a point in my life and I was going crazy. I was divorced. I had a broken engagement. I was like, I was like, I hate myself. Like, what am I doing wrong? Like I'm, I'm doing something wrong. I was like, so I, I asked him, I begged him if I could please just talk to him. I know he's not a therapist, but can he, pre-? and, uh, and anyways, he, he said to me like such like simple advice, you know, he's like mm-hmm. really one of like the great Talmudic scholars, great Jewish philosophers, today and i was asking for like such basic things of like how you know that you're not settling how you know you know basic yeah. simple questions you know he didn't have to quote any any pages of talmud or any pages of the czar he was just talking to me like in simple terms and he said to me simple thing my wife loves she doesn't like the martian thing but she loves when i say this he said to me he said to me i don't like when people tell other people that they're being too picky it bothers me. He says, I think every man should say about his wife, my wife is the best, period, full stop. I like you know? that. He says, how could, you, how could you live with yourself if you can't say that about your wife? Then why are you married to her if she's not the best? If there's someone better for you, then go marry her, right? Oof, oof. How can you live like so that? So simple, but so – it's like sometimes those simple truths just hit and you're like, Yeah. My you wife should point- think that your wife is literally the best person on the planet. A hundred percent. And Kalani, my wife points out that for a person to say that clearly he feels that way about his wife. You can't say that with confidence unless you feel that way about his wife. So, so, uh, praise be, be, uh, Rebison Lopiansky. Amen. Amen. But anyway, she said, he said that to me and I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to say that. So anyways, I got in the car and I drove, I was driving back up 95 from, from, from DC basically to Philadelphia yeah. where I was living at the time. And I had my um, 9 p.m. Uh, appointment with uh, with Ms. Paz on the phone. <laughs> <laughs> so first of all, I highly recommend, if it's long distance, I highly recommend having a phone conversation, not on Zoom, not on FaceTime. First. Yeah. And I think it's, again, going back to the same thing that when you're on Zoom or FaceTime, whatever, you're so distracted. Like veneer. trying to be on, you're trying to be on, so to speak. You're on, you're literally on camera, right? Yeah. You know, and, and you're trying to act your, aside from like communicating, talking and, and being sincere and listening, you're also like juggling all this other stuff and impressions and, and judging their wardrobe and judging, you know, 
They're, Tell me about it. You know how they don't really know how to comb their hair and stuff like that. <laughs> um, but anyways, it was on the phone, which was great. And within three minutes, she had me absolutely disarmed. I was not prepared. I never met any any human being like her. I was not prepared for her. I could not put her in any box that I I was familiar with. Right. Within three minutes, she's she's uh, she told me that she knows that I'm divorced. That that must be really hard. What's that like? What's it like having a daughter who lives uh, on the other side of the planet? Um, by the way, her my my ex father in law um slept you know stayed over her house when he was in in, in chile and like he she, she knows him also and did you pull and, over uh, like were you able to keep driving <laughs> no i had to pull over i had to pull over and, oh and by the way hannah and, and you'll appreciate the, the the velocity at which she did this and she also asked me for my birthday and started like <laughs> telling me my astrological energies and whatnot Classic. This is so your wife. I can't wait for those of you listening because God willing, Colony will be having her own episode of the podcast. And I think the picture will just be really clear once you hear uh, both sides to yeah. this amazing It'll couple. be good also. She'll be motivated to come on and, and do her rebuttal of, yeah. of, uh, of what I said and point, point out any flaws in my narrative. But but uh, As a wife should. As a wife yeah, should. We've come 100%. 100%. <laughs> anyway, so she, she was like doing all this crazy stuff. And I'm like, what is going on? <laughs> like, first of all, like, are you reading like from like the zo- the what's it called the zodiac? Uh, is that what it's called? Uh, Safer Yetzira, maybe. Oh yeah, no. I, anyway, I thought she was reading from like the the, the um, astrology section of the newspaper. I thought she was reading. It's like, what, are you reading that from the paper today? Like, what are you saying? And and like, who does that? Like, who's who whose opening volley is about like the other person's divorce? Like. <laughs> Hi, my name is Hi, nice Jack. To meet you. Nice to meet you. Right? I had to like pull over. I was like, excuse me, I just need to pull over. I cannot drive at 70 miles an hour and have this conversation, right? Yeah. So I pulled over and started talking. But that's what it was. And and the joke that Colony and I had at the beginning is that reality is better than fantasy when you're getting to know the right person. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, you've both said that to me before. Yeah. It's always the opposite. It's always the opposite. It's always the opposite. The fantasy is better than the reality. And you live with the reality. You know, you, you your job, you, you're taking a job and you think it's, and you think it's, you think it's perfect, right? Because when they interviewed you, they said everything's perfect and they have this great culture and everyone loves each other and everybody, blah, 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 right? Mm, kumbaya. It's not perfect. And that's fine. That's normal. And, and by the way, your, your spouse is not perfect. But the point is that when you meet the right person, that all the veneer, all the superficial stuff, was just the tip of the iceberg. That's the point. Mm. Of course, you realize that they're not perfect. But the point is that what you discover about who the person actually is continually impresses you the deeper you get to know them. You you understand the quality of the human being you're with increasingly with time. And so reality is always better than fantasy. And that's what, that's what we experienced, you know? So at first, she was a... a, a, a pretty girl everyone said she was a nice girl everyone everyone said she was a lot of fun mm-hmm. um she was you know a jewish leader in miami and all these nice things great like that's not that's not even any i mean that's nothing i mean i, I don't know that's like then then, I, then she's like fun on the phone and she's and she's eclectic and she's she, she really kept me on my toes but then every time every further conversation we met in person like you just see the quality of the person and i think that's what it really should feel like it should really feel like like it gets it, it does get better and better not necessarily like that you go to la la land but that you it just feels real it feels good it feels more comfortable it feels more right that's what mm. it felt like I think it's so important to like kind of be in touch with what you're feeling in the moment. It says so much. Like I, I remember like I had a mentor. It was probably a year of colony, honestly. Like after a day, like I was exhausted from the day. I was like, wow, like I need to like sleep for five hours. And I, I think it was Kala. And she was just like, what? I'm like, yeah, I'm exhausted. Like that was really exhausting. And she's like, it's not a good sign. I was like, oh no, but like it was just like a long day. And she's like, no, you shouldn't be like drained after a date. And I think that. Sometimes we we kind of, I don't know, we're so cerebral about dating. We're so in our heads that sometimes we need to really sit into our intuition. Like Hashem gave us that as a gift. Like use it, all, like use it, I don't want to say sparingly because you also need to bring your mind, you need to bring your seichel. And that's why you should have mentors where you can like have these conversations with because 
sometimes our intuition can lead us, you know, astray. But I, I think it's so important to kind of be present and hear that and feel that and, and know what you're feeling. Like, because I think what you said, like you felt on your toes when you were talking with Colony. And that's very different than, you know, wanting to go to sleep right after a day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, it's fine. that that made me think of a conversation I had with my father when I was dating because I was living in Philly. And I don't know if any any listeners can relate to this. I'm sure some can. Outside of the New York area, you have to like drive to New York. New York is the Mecca or maybe that's the wrong is the Jerusalem <laughs> of, of, of of dating. So you have oh, to drive. You know, I'm gonna, I have issues with that statement, but that's another conversation. Right. <laughs> But you have to drive, you have to make pilgrimage to New York to go to go on a date. And if you go to go to Long Island, forget it. Like to get to Long Island, even from even from even from New York to get to to New York, it takes forever. So forget from Philly. And like sometimes you know very rapidly, you 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 sit down with a person very rapidly. Like this is not going to work. You know, nice girl, it's not going to work. And then you then the dread, the dread sets in, of like whoa, I need to be on this date for another. X amount of time, then you start calculating until I get my until I uh, you know we pay. By the time I get into bed tonight, it's going to be exactly. twelve hours from now. <laughs> exactly, and I'm like just like dread, 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 and then you get in the car and you're dreading, and then it's like I I need to fall asleep. A bunch of times I had to t- I had to pull over at the gas station. Oh, I, had to, I had to sleep. You know, I had work the next day, but I had to sleep on the side of the road because like I just did not have the energy. I was afraid of driving. I was afraid. I said, Dad, I don't know how I'm going to do it. Like. How am I going to meet the person if I dread com- commuting for these dates? Yeah. So my dad said, Jaco, when you meet the right person, I promise you, you're going to have energy. Right? And I think I was you like so so spot on, like you're saying, to be aware of your energy level, to be aware of, again, we're not talking about here that when you meet the right person, you're going to be in the clouds. And I'm not talking about infatuation, I'm not talking about any other stuff, but that you feel good you feel comfortable you feel at ease you feel that's what it should feel like it should feel Mm -hmm. good what would you say also in terms of ignoring that intuition like i guess how do you know like how do you trust that intuition because i mean i i know that sometimes i'm sitting in front of a great person but they might maybe or you're trying to convince yourself that they fit the mold or they don't fit the mold or you're trying to like completely like break down that mold that you have in your head. Um, I feel like sometimes, I mean, you also have worked with so many people, like when people don't listen to their intuition, it ends up in, you know, Problems. devastating situations. Um, so how do we, how do we better, you know, navigate and use our intuition in a proper way? Because I think it is a very important tool. And I think it's an important tool, not even just in dating, but navigating through life when you communicate with other people, when you show up in places. I think it's a tool that if you know how to use it properly, it's it's like it really is heaven sent. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think intuition is, is is in many ways heaven sent, but we're not um we're not prophets and it's important to you know and i think sometimes i find the people who you know they self-styled um uh what do they call them empaths and this that and the other thing oh yeah all the labels all these all these like things like awesome like i've seen people with tremendous intuition tremendous intuition and i'm not i'm not that intuitive and i'm a little bit cerebral so my so I get all the I get all the problems of like blocking intuition, um, and I respect it. But I again, until until you've met your person, at least until you've met your person, you need to be prepared that Hashem is doing something with you, mm. right? Like that's He's not just torturing you, right? So one of the principles in, in in the Talmud is Hashem does not torture people. Right? I'll remind myself says, that. Says, Next bad date I have. <laughs> yeah, so that means if, if something's going on, he's not he's doing something with you. So that means that maybe something in your intuition is off because maybe something snuck into your intuition, a bias, hmm. which maybe you have some sort of bias. Maybe you have some sort of expectation. Maybe you have a little birdie whispering in your ear. Maybe you have an idea that was implanted in your head by your mom or your dad or your grandma 
or or your rabbi or your or your ex or something. Maybe something got implanted in your head that's not your in, that's not this holy God given intuition, and that's messing with you. So I do mm. think you need to be you need to give yourself that opportunity to be wrong. Mm. You know, a little bit. I'm not saying that the the alarms are firing and like this is so not okay. I'm not telling you to not listen to instincts to the to stump. You have to all you have to listen to everything. You have to give it its chance, right? If, if you're on a date and your stomach cramps up, you're on a date and you just don't feel comfortable. Date number one, date number two. That doesn't mean eject, but like something's going on. You have to figure out why you're not feeling comfortable. Is it you? Is it them? Is it is it the restaurant? Right? Yeah. Right. You need to get. But I do think that that on some level, you need to appreciate that some sometimes our intuitions are wrong. And we judge okay. people. We're judgmental. We judge people. The older we get, the more judgmental we get in many ways. So mm-hmm. I do think you have to suspend suspend those intuitions. Um, okay. Um, yeah, I, I, I think you just need to, part of it is just like, listen listen to everything. Everything's okay. Everything. And when you're dating, you want to listen to everything. Meaning, um, you want to listen to the tension in your stomach. You obviously want to listen to what the person's saying, right? And really listen. Like, where are they coming from? They're, it's a human being who you, you, you don't know. Like, listen to them. What are they saying? Where are they coming from? You also want to listen to your friend who's deeply worried about you dating them. Right. You know? Because the time to put the, put, to put the notion of the relationship through the ringer is before you get engaged. You know? Mm-hmm. You don't want... Sometimes, sometimes there's a, a person gets into a relationship... And there's there's a box that they're afraid of opening. <laughs> the person's background, the person's family member who's like shady. The person was in a was in a previous relationship with someone you know, but you don't want to ask. There's things going on. Okay, and I'm not trying to oversimplify. These are complex situations. But I'm saying to be afraid of opening a box and to like gloss over it and That's say I'm sure it's fine is a terrible idea. A yeah. terrible idea. If something is bothering you, something is making you tense, a friend of yours is worried. If you really care about the relationship possibly working, you must listen to your friend. Not do what they tell you to do, but you have to hear them out. What, what, do, you, I'm in, what, do, you, what do you worry about? I want to hear. This, then, the other. Hear them out. Are you comfortable with the thing they're uncomfortable with? Like truly comfortable. Mm-hmm. Don't poo it. Don't wave it off. Are you, are you comfortable with it anyways? Right? Mm-hmm. Because that's what's going to help you if you're if, if you're if you if you're confident in the relationship despite the concerns of your parents and your friends and this and the other thing it means you you must you must really be comfortable with the relationship. But if you don't even want to hear it, la 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 la, don't tell me I want to hear anything. That right means back. that you're not confident in the relationship because you you don't think the relationship can withstand the winds of of other forces, right? Mm. So I think that's a, that's a sign. The unwillingness to hear your, your your intuition, your instinct, your 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 friend's intuition, that lack of openness is actually a sign that something is wrong because it means mm. you're trying to protect yourself, um, protect the relationship um, before you even tested whether the relationship should should be protected. Strong. Wow, that's huge. That is that'll get a graphic for sure. Wow, Ravina. Wow. <laughs> okay. Like I have to, I have to replay that because that was just, if it's, if, if the relationship is strong enough, it can withstand whatever those outside concerns may be. But if you're afraid to even have them enter, like bring, come into the conversation, that should be a warning in of itself. Listen, when I, when I, and I, I, I say this, I say this only because it, I think it helps people. When I got engaged the first time, Right, my first marriage. The day I got engaged was I, I was deeply disturbed. Ooh. I was deeply disturbed. It was not a good day. Um, I had alarms going berserk inside of me. Berserk. Berserk. I didn't want to call my parents. I didn't call my parents for I don't think I called my parents for like three hours after I got engaged. And that didn't concern you, or you just didn't even I was want more to think about it. I was more concerned. Again, I think the recurring theme in our conversation is this kind of like superficial veneer Mm. that we protect 
um, instead of getting to like the real thing behind it. I was more concerned with them nuking the relationship than I was with, am I getting into the right relationship for me? <sighs> and so I didn't want to have that conversation, right? Um, I didn't want them to smell it on me. I didn't want them to smell that I was not confident in the relationship. So that's why I didn't want to call them, right? Because I wasn't, I was, I felt weird. Yeah, and but parents, I, parents can sense that. <laughs> parents can sense that. And I, I was afraid. I didn't know what I would answer. I, I wouldn't answer. I wouldn't have confident answers for, for their hard questions. And so it's like, nothing to see here. We're, we're, we're fine. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. <laughs> yeah. Right. So that's a, that's a sign when we're doing that. It's a sign that something is going on. That's an intuition that we're not listening to. I would even call it deeper. I would call it an instinct. It's like you, mm. you feel it literally in your bones, in your in your gut. You feel it that that something's not okay. Again, it does not mean that if you feel that it means cancel. No, it doesn't necessarily mean cancel. But it does mean you need to figure out what what's happening over there, and you right. need to and you, not, it needs more attention. Needs more attention, and you can't be afraid to give it attention. And let's see what comes out. Maybe it's nothing. Maybe it's a holdover from some childhood trauma, which will which will come, which will untangle itself once you kind of confront it and deal with it. But maybe it's something real. And if, again, if you're in it to win it, meaning win it in the real way, like on the scale of your lifetime, you cannot be afraid of bump of temporary bumps on the road. Who cares about temporary bumps on the road? We're talking about spending the rest of your life like with we're something. We're talking about grandkids, hopefully. Yes. Yeah. Grandkids yeah. and everything and, and everything in between. Wow. You've given us a lot to sit with, Rabino, and I'm really grateful for it. Thank you for your wisdom, being vulnerable, and sharing from your experience. It, I, I'm excited to hear this episode personally. Okay, that was great <laughs> being a part of it. Um, with me, of course. Before I before I have you go, I have a practice that I like to do um, with my guests, and I feel that. Um, we're always just like on go in life and we rarely get to sit with things and I mm -hmm. want to give you an opportunity to sit with something. It doesn't have to be related to this episode. It can be anything that's going on in your life. Just something you're currently sitting with. Something I'm currently sitting with. Well, <clears throat> I'm in my office in, um, the Hebrew Academy High School of Miami Beach. Mm. It's midterm season. Oof. So I just finished my first semester. I just survived my first semester as, as a high school teacher and administrator. And what I'm sitting with is I'm sitting with like education in a broader sense than I've thought of it. I, I consider myself an educator. Um, since I was maybe 20, 23 or 24, probably that's when I, I, I felt like I was, I started teaching and being an educator. So it's been a, it's been a while. It's been 15 years. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah, been around. Years. But I don't, I feel like I just discovered a whole new realm of education because I was, I've been teaching people who wanted to learn. I've been teaching mm -hmm. them doing informal young adult and young adult education, young adult meaning college and above. Right. And, and well, people, they come because they want to be there. So when you're teaching them, like you're really, you're, you're, you're doing the teaching of teaching, but, but, um, but now it's like a whole new world of like, how do you get people to learn things when they just don't care when there's only one reason, one reason only why they're there is because they have to be there because they are forced and that is that to me just like it's just it's just like totally blown away my whole sense of what education is like that ha that is such a big part of education is really inducting someone getting someone to to want to learn in the first place to break through that barrier to get them to trust you um when they really like they just don't they're just like this they're like, so closed off yeah so closed off right and um is that 0 to 1 you know, I used to work in, in what's called um, Kiruv. Kiruv means to bring someone close. Outreach is another way. And in outreach, I was always the worst at zero to one. Zero to one is like, you know, you, you know, and like someone on the street, like someone who looks like conspicuous, like a rabbi is like, hey, are you Jewish? 
uh, depends who's asking. I was very bad at that part. But now I realize that it's like now I came to school, like a religious school. It's like, no, now it's not outreach. Now it's in reach or now it's just education. And I'd be like, oh, my gosh, it's the same thing. It's zero to one. How do you get someone to go from zero, meaning I don't care about what you're saying, to one? It's like, oh, interesting. That's so interesting. Tell me more about that. Or how do you? what about this? Or what do you think about that? That's like zero to one is the hardest thing in the world. So that's that's what I'm literally sitting with over here in my office as I try to take stock on what happened this semester and try to make next semester better. Oof, wow. Well, I wish you much Hatzlacha. And I think as a former student, what I remember, I think the most, and I think it's just a lesson I'm learning in life and it's something your wife has taught me and you've taught me is just being authentic and being real, I guess, about the things that you're teaching with your students. like. Admitting that, yeah, this kind of is a little boring. So let's like talk about what makes it boring. Just being real, I think is refreshing when you see an educator just being real and kind of meeting meeting them where they're at. And I think you do a really, really good job of that. So you, I'm excited to keep hearing about the next semester. I'm excited for you to, to reflect again. Maybe we'll have you again on the podcast. But um, thank you again for, for sitting with us, Ravina. Thank you so much. I really think that, that just dating is... As we started by saying, dating is not just something you sit through. It's something you really have to sit with. And after you sit on a date, you have to come home and have someone that you can talk to. For sure. And be like, what happened? Like, what did you learn? What surprised you? Did anything open you up? Did anything? What's going through your head? So, you know, you by you doing this, you really are that chavruta, that study partner for people to bounce ideas off of. And I think it's a huge, it's a huge um, help for people who are, who feel like they're doing this alone and just kind of like slogging through, holding their breath until they meet the right person, not realizing that, that, that the journey is, is in this case is the point, it's the journey to become mm. those people who are destined to meet the people we're destined to build a life with. Oh, man. Thank you, Ravino. Well, thank you so much, Hannah. A pleasure.